Support for this episode comes from eBay. Whether it's a holy grail pair of sneakers, head-turning handbags, or one genuine wardrobe staple. If you're always on the hunt for that one wardrobe staple you just gotta have, eBay gets it. Nothing's more important than the real deal. When you shop on eBay, all you have to do is look out for that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll know that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo will be verified authentic through a detailed inspection. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. All right, Sixers fans, welcome to a new edition of our live stream. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Joining me, as they usually do for the live stream, Mr. Paul Hudrick, Jackson Frank. Fellas, let's jump right into it. Game one, the Sixers look really good for, I don't want to say really good, but they look good for maybe like 27 minutes of that game. They led 61 to 60 in the third quarter, and then it was all Miami from that point on. Major struggles on the offensive end, major struggles on the offensive rebounding. They gave up 15 to the Heat. And this one, Paul, we'll start with you. Looking at that game yesterday, what do you think ultimately went wrong in the second half for the Sixers, given the fact that they were right there throughout, like I said, a majority of the first half and early into the third quarter? I thought that James Harden and Tyrese Maxey both were actually really good, uh, especially in the second quarter, uh, generating offense, getting into the paint, getting some good looks. And then in the second half, that changed, um, partly because of the heat. I thought the heat just really upped their intensity. They really, really made a, a more concerted effort to really clog the paint. And the fact that the shooter, Sixers shooters weren't hitting, um, it just made clogging the paint for the heat easier because they felt no pain from doing so. Um, and then on top of that, you know, when you have a center in DeAndre Jordan that's really giving you, I mean, nothing on the offensive end of the floor, it's basically like they're playing five on four on that end. So, um, yeah, I mean, offensively, like you like you said, that was where I thought the biggest issue was. I thought defensively they actually held up okay. Uh, Tobias Harris continues to be like a revelation in the playoffs so far. He's been really, really good. Um, obviously, his best offensive game of the series. And I will say that I, I do, if I'm going to take like a bright spot from this game, obviously Tobias, but I'd say too, if you do eventually, and I'm sure we're going to get into it, if you do eventually get Joel Embiid back into the fold, seeing that Tobias Harris could potentially be a matchup problem for the Heat, I feel like that's a really good sign for the Sixers because that's, you know, another really good option that the Heat are going to have to keep in check. Now, we got a long ways to go probably till we get there. Still got to play at least one game in Miami before we get to that point. But just, I thought, the encouraging thing is I thought there were moments and signs that there were that the Sixers one were able to find some holes in the Heat's defense, and two that they were able to kind of blow up. And I, Jackson, you talked about it a lot. Those DHO plays, the Sixers blew a lot of those up early on. Um, but then the second half, and I, some of the lineup decisions, obviously, you know, with Doc Rivers, we can get into all that. But having Matisse Thybul, DeAndre Jordan, and Furkan Korkmaz all on the floor, I understand it's like there's. There are no good answers for Doc Rivers right now, but like that, that lineup was especially pretty bad, and I, I think the the that 
stretch for Miami speaks for itself that, again, not to take anything away from the Heat, who are a, a fantastic team. It did a lot of things well in the second half and clearly upped their physicality and adjusted. But um, I, I agree with what you said off the top, Jazz. Just offensively, that's where their biggest issue was. And I, I think until they can get more out of the five position, um, I, I think those struggles are going to continue. Jackson, yeah, we mentioned you mentioned that yesterday on Twitter as well. The Sixers are doing a pretty good job on the defensive end in terms of not allowing Miami to get into its sets, not allowing the Heat to really, you know, control things on the offensive end. And I think overall, like you mentioned there, uh, Paul, they they did a pretty damn good job overall on the defensive end. But looking at this now, six of thirty-four from beyond the arc. Obviously, not not going to cut it when you're missing your your MVP guy, specifically on the offensive end, Jackson. We saw a lot of just stretches that the Sixers couldn't do anything. They weren't able to get a foot in the paint, a lot of standing around ISO ball early on in the possession. The next thing you know, they're trying to get something going with 13, 14 seconds left on the shot clock. But I noticed this before, and we've all talked about it, not only in live streams, but also on, on podcasts is they're just unable to get any weak side movement. And, and there were plenty of possessions yesterday, especially in that second half where you had Tobias Harris or Tyrese Maxey or James Harden, dribble, dribble, dribble at the top of the key, unable to really get any penetration, not beating their defender, which resulted in one pass and a quick contested three-pointer. Looking at this now, since we know Joel is not going to get back in the lineup for at least game two, what else can the Sixers do on the offensive end to make sure they don't go through a stretch like that where they just get completely killed by Miami? And as you mentioned, Paul, the Heat weren't that great on the offensive end, but because the Sixers were struggling so much, that gap just kept getting bigger and bigger as we got towards the end of the third quarter. Yeah, and I think I think it should be noted, at least what I, what I noticed you know, throughout the game, I'm going to go back and watch some of those offensive possessions. But I feel like in the first half, the Heat were running a lot of full court pressure and the Sixers were getting into space off of that because they were beating it. In the second half, they kind of changed it to like a half court press, which really extended the Sixers offense in the half court and made it tough for them to kind of find that same level of space. Um, but where they did have success, I think is kind of replicable. If you saw the Sixers initiate some stuff from the side rather than up top, James Harden hit a pull up three. Maxi had a nice little like, runner or leaner through contact. In the first half, and they went away from that in the second half. Miami, you know, like I said, went to half court pressure, really loaded those driving lanes up to, to deter Harden from getting downhill. Maxi from getting downhill. You saw Harden only take four shots in the second half compared to, you know, nine in the first half. I think that was a big difference as well. So, um, trying to kind of use Miami's aggression against it. So, initiate more stuff from one side, swing it to the other. Um, you know, we, you know that the Sixers run kind of those, those second set, those weak side kind of flare screens, ball screens for Maxi to get in downhill. See if you can do it with Tobias or even Harden at times, whether it's, you know, Harden's not going to be some guy who's going to blow you away off the dribble, but um, just kind of something to tilt the defense because, as I said, you know that Miami's going to keep stuff loaded at the elbows and the free throw line extended, stuff like that. So um, it felt like they ran a lot of stuff up up from the top of the key, and that's where Miami wants to play because they're going to keep you out of the middle, and if you have to kind of go to another side, you're in a tough spot. So um, that would be the kind of the biggest adjustment. And like I said, we saw some of the Sixers use that to their advantage a little bit, um, but that really dried up in the second half. Harden rushed a couple of threes. Maxi rushed a lot of his threes, I thought, which was uncharacteristic for him in both halves. It was only one of six, and his one three was kind of a kick out, I think, after Paul Reed off to rebound when the game was not officially out of sort out of you know contention, but you know more or less. So that's what I would try and do is just use their aggression against him. You know, just swing the ball, you know, play from side to side rather than and then get downhill rather than just up top and look for something in the paint because that was working and, and you know. People will point to the Sixers shooting poorly from three, and they, they will shoot better. But, you know, the Heat weren't great either, and the Heat led the NBA in three-point percentage this year. So 
Um, that's not something you can just say, oh, yeah, we'll shoot better, and then things will be all right. I mean, Max Drew's one of seven from three, and he got a lot of good looks. So um, I think it's got to be more than that, and it's you know got to come from kind of a little more ball movement, getting downhill with that ball movement rather than you know side to side. You can use the side to side, but don't have that be you know how the possession ends, have it be a part of the possession. Paul, you're obviously around the team a ton, basically cover every home game at every practice at the media is they have media availability looking at this right now from Doc's perspective. And we've seen him get a little bit testy now a couple of times over the over the last week or so, especially when he was talking about, you know, the three one deficits and, and, and being able to allow teams to come back. He referenced, you know, look at that roster with the magic. And he was talking about when the Pistons won in 04 last week. And then even now with DeAndre Jordan, like following that game yesterday, he was asked about it and he's like, well, we're going to go with DJ. You know, that that's what the, I don't care what you think. Well, again, Doc, I don't know if you look at the analytics, but DeAndre Jordan in the playoffs, I know it's a small sample size, minus 66.7 net rating, okay? And yeah, you talk about the offense, the Heat, uh, the Sixers part of me, averaging 87.9 points per 100 possessions with him on the court. When you look at Doc's fixation, and Doc's, let's be honest, it's stubbornness in dealing with this. Why is he so tethered to DeAndre Jordan when we see Paul Reed again, Paul Reed, not great, still developing on his own, but he does some things out there. He grabs offensive rebounds. He's uh, attacks when he can still, you know, a little bit of foul happy gets himself into some issues in terms of reaching in, not moving his feet enough, which are things you expect from a, from a young guy who wasn't too heralded coming into the league. But I think we all see the difference. Anybody who watches basketball or knows anything about basketball sees a difference. Why is Doc so stuck on having DeAndre Jordan not only in the starting lineup, but playing as much as he is when we've seen the, the, the proof be in the pudding? Well, Jazz, it's a small sample size. I mean, you can't. <laughs> I've been to the playoffs. I've been in the playoffs. Net, net right? It's such a, such a small sample. Well, no. I mean, um, isn't that one game basically the entirety of his? I mean, yeah, yeah. Playoffs, other besides than, the, yeah. the one possession at the end of game three. Yeah. Other than garbage time, yeah. Um, and it's it stinks because uh, I feel like DeAndre Jordan is getting piled on right now, and I and like he seems like a great a great guy. He's been really good here as far as like being a good teammate. Like you could tell he coaches guys up. Like he's really enthusiastic. Like. He, when he was asked about like playing the other day, he said, I just want to win a championship. I don't, and like, that was it. Like, that's, are you prepared for, I think it was something like, are you preparing for a bigger role? He's like, I'm preparing to, to try to win a championship. So like, he just, I feel so bad, like ripping the guy because he's, he, he's, he's, he, and he had such a great career. He was such a good player for so long. Um, and it just, it's, it's, it's like sad to see that he's just not even close to that guy anymore. He just really can't do the things the Sixers need him to do. He can't move like he used to, and it's it's really hampering him. And for Doc Rivers to just continually keep playing him, and I just don't see it. I, I don't. I just. I don't see what Doc Rivers is seeing. Um, he mentioned that DeAndre. You know that they went on a run to start the second half at the beginning of the third quarter. I don't know what you could point to in that stretch and say, yes, DeAndre Jordan contributed to that run. I don't think that's what it was. I think it was, you know, they got a couple stops, they got a couple of transition baskets, and, and they built the lead well, a little I bit. Think, like, what, I think they ended up being outscored during DeAndre's – like they, they, they had a nice little four-all yes. run, and DeAndre had a law ball. It was a nice play by him and James. But, like, I think they were up 51-50 going, in, you know, going into the third quarter, and then DeAndre subbed out, and they're down 62-61. So, like – it doesn't even make it doesn't make it doesn't sense. Like it's, no, and you can't then, use and a run for part like part of his minutes. That's not how a run works, right? And then 
The other thing, too, I mean, he talked about, like, oh, well, rebounding. DeAndre Jordan played 17 minutes and got two rebounds. Yeah. Respect, And I understand, like, in some of, like, I don't know why people are really stumping for DeAndre Jordan. Maybe it's because he is, again, such a, a, a good dude and because he has had such a good career that maybe some people feel like he's just getting too much, too much grief here. But sure, like, maybe he kept Bam off the glass for, like, a possession or two. But for the most part, if you watched him play, he really did not help them on the glass. Again, two rebounds in 17 minutes. Um, and there was just little, like he caught two lobs. Like that was it. He, and like you said, like the, the one was an unbelievable play by James Harden. That pass was unreal. And then the other one in the first half was off the, the full court pressure where Tobias Harris just got a free lane to drive all the way down the floor. And yeah. then it was an easy, easy lob. I, I just, and again, this goes back to what we talked about already, where there are no good options here. You're missing Joel Embiid, who is an MVP finalist and arguably the most dominant big man in the entire, maybe arguably the most dominant player in the NBA. You're missing him, and your options just aren't that great. Um, you have two guys who are, quite frankly, past their prime in DeAndre Jordan and Paul Millsap, and then you have two guys that kind of aren't quite even at their prime yet who are just really breaking into the league. You have nobody in that middle ground. Um, that you can one trust, but then two can still play and still bring something to the table. So um, it's Paul Reed is an imperfect option. He's the best option. I understand he gets in foul trouble. That's going to happen, but I think you have to play him as much as you possibly can. If he fouls out, he fouls out. Like you just got to yeah. let it happen. If that's going to happen, you can't say I'm not playing him because I'm afraid he's going to commit fouls. Let him play and commit those fouls. And then you can go from there. Um, and I thought too, like Paul Millsap only played five minutes. I thought he was more effective in those five minutes than DeAndre Jordan was his entire 17. Um, he can move. I mean, you know, it's again, not, not a perfect option, not, not even a good option, but he's he, like of the four backup centers. I hate to say it, but like, I think DeAndre Jordan is the fourth best option. I, I would say it's, it's Reed and then Millsap and Bassey, I'd say are close. And then it's DeAndre Jordan. Um, and I only say that with Bassey because one, he didn't get the opportunity to play down the stretch with the Sixers. He played a lot with the Blue Coats, and then two, he's coming off a shoulder injury. So, it, it is not a great position for him to come in and have to play NBA playoff minutes as a rookie and all that. So that's where maybe I give Millsap the slight edge, but it's it's not much of one. And to me, it goes back to and I, Bodner asked the question during the regular season, and it triggered Doc. But it's a fair question. Shouldn't he, instead of giving DeAndre Jordan all of that run at the end of the regular season, when you know what DeAndre Jordan is, you've had DeAndre Jordan before. He's had a long career. We all know what DeAndre Jordan is, what he brings to the table. Why would you keep playing him all these backup center minutes, not give Paul Reed another look, not give Bassey another look, just to see it um, and just to prepare him so that when Paul Reed gets into this moment, perhaps he is a little bit more disciplined because he got more run at the end of the season. Or maybe Bassey, you know, if he's getting pro minutes instead of G League minutes, maybe he's he shows you something that shows, okay, maybe we can trust him in this matchup or that matchup or whatever. And then on top of that, what I thought was odd, they go on, I believe it was a 10-2 run to end the second quarter to close the half to take the lead. They did that with a small ball lineup. They did that with Tobias Harris and George Yang basically being their four and five. It seemed to give the Heat a lot of issues. It seemed to throw them off. They were kind of switching everything, and the Heat – didn't seem super comfortable going up against that. We didn't see it again for the rest of the game. Um, I believe Doc said something like, ah, well, we haven't practiced it enough. It worked. Go back to it. Like he, this is a guy who said before the playoff season, before the series started, without Joel Embiid, I have to be creative. We have to take risks. We have to do different things. 
you did a different thing, it worked, and then you never went back to it. So um, I, it, How it's befuddling the, that he just didn't practice. That, like, you, are you telling me that they run a bunch of like starters plus John or Jordan minute like in practice? Like, I, how much time did you really have over the yeah you know, right, the, right, the, right the like, three days? Or that this? I mean, I assume I was going to say I assume that's probably all they did for the two days, but still, like that's. That's not much either, right? <laughs> no, right. And then before that, like when we talked to Doc during practice, he said Paul Reed, A, Paul Reed was terrific in the Toronto series, and then said B, that he looked his best playing with the starters. So then you start DeAndre Jordan. So it's like, I, I and then I'll, and then on top of that, uh, and I'll end this on here because I know I'm, I'm going on a rant here, but like Doc Rivers again in that response to Bodner said, I'll say it slowly. I'm playing small, small. Paul Reed plays with small bigs. DeAndre Jordan plays the big bigs. Bam Adebayo is not any bigger than anyone on the Toronto Raptors. And he started DeAndre Jordan. I don't yeah, get it. And then Dwayne Dedman is the backup. Yeah. Yeah, Makes no sense. I, I, I just wish I just wish Doc would say that I've coached DeAndre for many years before. There's a familiarity aspect that I like to rely on in the playoffs. And we could disagree with it, but it would at least make sense in these Honest, things. Honest, yeah. Like that that aren't that don't hold up when you examine examine like just tell us like coaches like familiarity it's it's fine like I I would I would criticize the move to play him but I would at least understand your rationale rather than these reasons you give us that aren't aligning with what we're seeing and what you know what is actually reflective of reality and then to say whether you like it or not like first of all you're talking to media they don't care like they don't care whether you win or lose or who you play they're just simply asking. Hey, this doesn't look very good when you do it. So why are you doing it? Like it's it blows my mind. Well, and that's and that's the thing. You look at Paul Reed. He had nine rebounds in that game, as I mentioned, five on the on the offensive end. Also had four assists too. So he's giving you something that you desperately need. Something. Of course, the, the the fouls are 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 an issue on the defensive end, but at the same time, offensively, you're not just playing four on five like you out there. Like if you put Matisse and DeAndre Jordan out there, you're severely hampered, and anybody can see that. I don't know why he can't. Although, Paul, I will say one thing. When you got into your rant there about DeAndre Jordan, he's a nice guy. He's had a long career but doesn't have any more. Kind of reminded me on the podcast front. So thank you. Reminded me about myself. So thank you for, for saying that. But uh, <laughs> You got plenty at, in the tank. <laughs> Jackson, when we're, when we're looking at this now, going forward, okay, we know Kyle Lowry not in the lineup for the Heat for, for uh, game two. Don't know when he's going to be back yet. But – Going into into that right now, sure, that's not going to kill the Heat. We saw they're still pretty damn good without Kyle Lowry, even though, again, Lowry is, is a former All-Star, obviously has a championship pedigree, winning the title with the Raptors in 2019. But looking at this from your perspective now, Game 2, how important is it? Because I'm looking at this, if you can steal one in Miami, we said this before the series, if you could just steal one where everything goes right, where Tyrese Maxey has 30, James Harden has 25, uh, Tobias Harris, who, as we mentioned, has been great, throughout the entire playoffs, playing at a very high level for himself, still not worthy of that contract. That's a topic for another day. But doing his job overall, how important is it that you think the Sixers get this game? And what do you think they need to do to basically throw the kitchen sink at Miami and walk out of there with a win? Yeah, I mean, I think it's some of the things that Paul touched on and, you know, when he just spoke. I mean, going small more often, um, you just like you you trust, you, you let Paul Reed play until he exhausts all six fouls he can use. And, he, and Paul, I don't think he was great last night. Like, he he made some mistakes, and he missed quite a few shots around the rim and whatnot. But, like, at least he's, you know, at least he's getting off into rebounds to miss shots, right? That, that's, <laughs> there's something there. So, um, you know, Harden has to be more aggressive in the second half. Um, you know, like, you know, we can, we can, t- I think the way I try to frame is some of the decisions Doc is doing 
is really hampering this team. They're not the only reasons, but this team already has a small margin of error when it's you know without you know Joel Embiid. So um, you know Harden has to be better. Um, they, I, I think. I think they, and I don't ever, I try not to lean on this with my analysis, but I think they did look tired in that second half defensively. They were, they played so hard in that first half to like, it's, it's hard to chase around Max Struess and Gabe Vincent and Jimmy Butler and, and, you know, close off passing lanes. And I thought Niang looked tired in the second half. I thought Harden looked tired. I thought Danny looked tired as well. And like, I think, and I, I think it was different for like, sometimes Danny just doesn't look like he's had it athletically time this year. I thought he looked fatigued at times yesterday, which is different to me than how he's played. So, um, I, I, I don't, you know, it was fun. Like yesterday on the broad on the TNT broadcast, they were like, I think I got to go deeper into their bench. And it was like, do we watch the same? Like they, they played 11 guys before garbage, like garbage time yesterday. I don't know what we're talking about there. So um, well, there's not really too, like the heat, the heat can go deep into their bench. They didn't even play Duncan Robinson. Like they have other guys they can even go to. Yeah. So, so I just thought that was, they tried a bunch of, like Sixers tried a bunch of guys. I don't know if it's necessarily like a lot. They didn't play seven dudes. It wasn't, it wasn't an issue. <laughs> You know, it wasn't Nick Nurse in the middle of February or anything like that. Um, so I think, you know, just they're going to have to hit more threes, which sounds simplistic. But, like, I mean, George Nang is 0 of 7. His minutes are pretty detrimental to you when that happens. Um, uh, you know, Maxi, I think they just they rushed a few shots. I don't know. Like, I, there's not a lot of great options. It was kind of a weird game where I just felt like it wasn't I, – like, I didn't feel like I had a great grasp of it. Like I said, I'll, I'll rewatch some of it or whatever before tomorrow. But um, – yeah, I think it's just, you know, it's just don't, I mean, I, I, so I, it seems so easy not to play DeAndre Jordan, but like if we're trying to look for actual like realistic solutions, that's not one of them because clearly that's not, not going to happen. But um, yeah, go small more, you know, hit more of a three. I think, you know, like I said, get into that second side op- op- offense a little bit more. Um, and just, I mean, Harden has to be more aggressive too. It wasn't just the, it wasn't just the passing. There was just the scoring that, you know, went quite in the second half. It was the, it was the, the passing as well. So, um, and that's kind of where, you wonder like how, you know, and, and Paul, you, you wrote, you know, justified. So he's been very adaptable in terms of kind of how he handles things, but he, you know, he's still not the most versatile of, of offensive player, right? There's kind of, you know, I think he's, he can shift between kind of scorer and passer, obviously has to do more passing now, but like you're not going to run him off the ball a ton. Right. And so, you know, and he likes to play at the top of the key and that's where the heat want to take teams. They don't want it. They want to flare him out to the wings. And so I just kind of wonder what they can do from there. And so it seems simplistic, but they're going to have to hit, or three, but I also think they have to create better th- looks from three, right? Like they got some good looks, but it was also kind of a lot of bailout last second shots from George or Danny. And, you know, I think you more want George and Danny taking shots with 12 seconds left on the shot clock when the ball swings their way for an open three rather than a desperation pass that they kind of have to rush. So I hope that all makes sense, but I just, there's not a lot of great options. No, it does. And game, it, so. it, Doc actually said post game, he felt like the, the shots were good, but they weren't great. And he said he felt like there were a bunch of times where, the pass should have gotten there a half a sec, a half a tick sooner for mm-hmm. it to be an even cleaner look. And, you know, again, not a good look, but a great look. So um, I think you're yeah, obviously your analysis is spot on there. And Doc, Doc Rivers agrees with you. So maybe you maybe, you know, a little ball, unlike uh, <laughs> people like, that are actually there. Apparently. Well, look, at, and, and fellas, looking at the at the bench, too, you know, we mentioned looking at the offensive end that the Sixers are going to they're going to have to score something about 105, 110 play good defense to beat Miami in game two. And we mentioned they have to get big games from two out of at least, in my opinion, Harden, Maxi, and Tobias Harris. But you look at the bench guys, right, in, in this game. 52 combined minutes for Thibault, Shake Milton, and uh, George Niang, who are your first three guys off the bench. They combined for six points overall. And that, that's not going to cut it, again, without Embiid in the lineup. Support for this episode comes from eBay. 
whether it's a holy grail pair of sneakers, head-turning handbags, or one genuine wardrobe staple. If you're always on the hunt for that one wardrobe staple you just gotta have, eBay gets it. Nothing's more important than the real deal. When you shop on eBay, all you have to do is look out for that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll know that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo will be verified authentic through a detailed inspection. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. All right, fellas, wanted to jump into Joel Embiid's possible return. When that might be, we'll do that after a short break. But looking forward now in this series, we don't obviously know what's going to happen in game two, Paul. But for Joel Embiid, Doc Rivers had some encouraging comments on Tuesday morning, basically saying, hey, you know what? He's looking pretty good and things are trending in the right direction. Doesn't want to get anybody's hopes up from what you know. And, and again, being around the team so much, what are the chances that Joel is back for game three? I think they're pretty good, uh, mostly because of Joel Embiid, because I think if he is comfortable and he is told by medical professionals that he is clear to play, whether, I mean, I'm sure he'll have to wear some form of protective mask. Um, I believe Woj already reported that he's cleared. His concussion symptoms have cleared. He has not had any symptoms. So that's obviously a, a pretty enormous hurdle to, to overcome because um, that's something you, you know, when you're talking about head injuries and stuff around your eye, like those are things that you don't want to mess with. Like, uh, like playing with, you know, a torn ligament in your thumb isn't great, but that's not going to, you know, potentially cause issues for you for the rest of your life. You wouldn't think at least not mentally or anything like that, or, you know, mess with your sight or anything like that. Um, so, but I think as long as, again, as long as he's comfortable, as long as the, you know, the doctors, the athletic trainers and, and everyone tells him you can do this as long, but you have to wear this mask. Uh, I think he will return. Game three makes sense um, when you look at kind of the timeline of things. I know a lot of people pointed to Capella a few years back, uh, missed, I believe it was like six days with a orbital bone fracture that did not require surgery. Obviously, everybody's different. It, the degree is going to be different. Not everybody's the same. But if it's obviously in line with that, then him playing um, Friday night in Philadelphia would line up. That would make a lot of sense. So, you know, I... I tend to be i guess you know doc didn't want to give people hope and i get that i think that's a smart move by doc as he likes to point out that is just the nickname um but i feel <laughs> just optimistic. Refer to him as glenn from now on is that what we should do but yeah okay yeah <laughs> well that was that, my guy mark Zumoff. that was a funny thing you weren't here for that jazz but when uh when doc first got hired because obviously so throughout doc's career Zumoff always called him glenn because he said there's only one doc in philly <laughs> which i thought was brilliant um but i do think they came to an agreement i think mark once he became the coach, said like, all right. And actually, Doc was a good sport about it. He said he was going to just keep calling him Glenn. And Doc's like, yeah, I get it. Freaking <laughs> Dr. J, man. Like, I get it. And that's where he got the nickname from. But anyway, um, yeah, I, 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 I feel like he's going – like, just the way he's pushed through everything this year, the way he's really gutted it out all season long. And, like, for it, like 
basically, I, I like for him to like not play now. I think, like, I, I would be surprised because he's just pushed through so much already. He had such a great series against Toronto, came up so huge. Even with the thumb, he was tremendous. And um, especially if they're down 0-2, he's going to do everything in his power to get back, you would think, for Game 3. So um, without having really any inside knowledge, um, I, I feel pretty optimistic that that we'll see Joel Embiid in Game 3. And if I just – I think he – like, and every player, you know, I'm sure Matt feels this way, but he's been very vocal about, like, like he wants to kind of, like, shuck the injury per label or whatever he's right. had. And I think – like he's, he says that he, he sees all the criticism about him and that's kind of the last remaining thing. And, and so then I'm not saying he's going to like let discourse to decide whether he plays, but I think he takes a lot of like public pride and discernible pride in having played so many games this year. And so I think, you know, if, yeah, as you said, Paul, if it's just, you have to wear this mask and it might be a little intrusive, he'll be like, all right, like intrusive is better than watching from the sidelines or at home. So I'll take that. Yeah. I, I tend to agree yeah, without any, you know, sourced information that he'll he'll play when they're on friday excuse me not wednesday yeah um, the guys he, and he's been jackson he's been he's been a soldier all the way throughout now he's gonna have a tape on his thumb he's gonna have a mask on his face i mean the, yeah you can't stop the dude just can't stop the dude from playing but looking at this now in the bigger picture jackson let's just say hypothetically we don't know for sure yet obviously so i'm not saying that but let's say the heat do win game two and they're up two nothing going back to philly joel comes back they don't know what you're going to get from him i'm pretty sure he's still going to be damn near the level that that we've been accustomed to throughout the entire season but do you still think the Sixers would have much of a chance to beat the Heat four out of five games with Joel in the lineup knowing that he's going to have all these ailments yeah I mean if you're down 2-0 like it's I mean it's tough to beat any like anyone in the NBA like regardless who it is it could be you know the team the least amount of wins the NBA winning four out of five times against them is tough but I I watched that game one I know the Heat didn't shoot well either but like I didn't think they were in a different class than the Sixers and of course there's a caveat that you know, Kyle Lowry was very important at organizing their half-court offense and kind of making some of those connective plays as a screener, passer, you know, whatever it is, you know, long-range shooter wasn't available. But, like, you know, it's not it's not a hot take to say that Joel's more important to the Heat, the Sixers than, than Kyle Lowry is uh, to the Heat. And that's not to diminish Lowry. Again, he's very important to what they do. But, like, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily pick them to win game two, but I could see them winning game two and we go back to Philly and it's 1-1. And then I think what's so important is, um, you know, the, the 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 arrival of Harden allows them to run more pick and roll stuff. We've seen what the Heat can do to Joel on the post at times, you know, with their their aggressive doubles and their handiness and whatnot, like similar to Toronto, but just, you know, they're they have Bam Adebayo as a primary guy who you know has finished fourth in DPOI voting this year, so um, you know the, it's a level up there. So that's the nice thing is you can just counter and say, okay, let's just run more pick and roll with Harden, and you know I think and you, you, Miami can't switch that right, like you you can't you know if like. Yeah, if you're going to throw PJ Tucker on Joel, like, you know, because I imagine you're going to have you're going to have PJ Tucker on Harden and Bam on Joel, uh, you know, assuming you know Joel plays whenever it is, like you you can switch that, but like, and obviously Bam is good at clogging passing lanes, but you don't feel comfortable with that as my I mean, like Tucker is incredibly has a great center of gravity, super strong, but like Joel's one of the strongest players in the NBA, like you don't feel comfortable with that, so that's a nice counter you can throw is like, yeah, maybe we're not going to run as so much post stuff, but we're still going to run our Chicago actions, our dribble handoff, pick and rolls, things like that with Joel and James and it feel comfortable. So um, like, I, I think, you know, winning a four to five is hard, but I don't think, you know, winning game two is an impossible task by any means. And, you know, it, it helps the Sixers have the guys to get hot from three, right? Like, it's not like they're just some team that has to get downhill constantly to score. Like, you know, again, they have to create better looks from three, but like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Danny Green and George Nian combined to go seven of 12 from three in game 
in game two rather than, you know, what was it? One of 13, two of 13. And, and all of a sudden the sixth of the game is a lot closer. And, you know, you get a couple of bounces your way from a maxi three or, you know, Harden's a little more aggressive down the stretch. Um, there you go. But yeah, you know, if it's down 2-0, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to pick them. But I don't think 2-0 is a foregone conclusion. Not that you're saying that, Chaz. But, um, you know, and like we know, we're, it's going to be the exact same guys who played game one for each side. So, um, you know, we, like we know they can play with them through 27 minutes, which again, is not, you know, 48 minutes is the entire thing, of course. But, you know, I, I'd favor the Heat. And I think the Heat, you know, should be, you know, projected to win by 8, 12, 10 points. But I don't think that's an insurmountable, you know, advantage by any means. I think you could definitely look at, you know, this series being 1 1 and going back to Philly, but I wouldn't, you know, bet on it by any means. Yeah, 1 1 would, would just make it that much easier again with, with Joel. And we don't know how much he's going to be. If he played pretty well with the mask, you know, a few years ago when he had it. So I'm not going to say that that's going to impede him at all. But you look at the, at the numbers on it 439 times teams have went down 2 nothing in the playoffs, just 31 have come back from that to, to win the series. So again, that's why it's imperative where I said, you know what, throw the kitchen sink, even if you got to play your guys, your main guys, 40, 41 minutes in this one, get back to game three, hopefully get that emotional lift from Joel being there, maybe steal that one. But I just think it's imperative that the Sixers at least do everything they can to win game two. Uh, a couple more questions for you guys before we wrap up here. Paul, I wanted to ask you about this. James Harden, Jackson, you mentioned him earlier on, only took four shots in the in the second half. He finished five of 13, 16 points, nine boards, five dimes. They need more from this guy. You want a five-year, $260 million extension in, in the offseason, you got to show that you're worth it. And, and I think right now with Harden, we've seen his struggles. I, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that in terms of his burst, in terms of a step back in his athletic ability, just not seeing him be the same finisher that he was during his heyday in Houston. But looking at this game two performance, Paul, how important do you think it is that he gets going and at least, again, doesn't have to, but in my opinion, the Sixers need him to score 25 or 30 if they want to steal a game against the Heat in, in the, the second one coming up on uh, on Wednesday. Absolutely. It's critical that he is – and I don't look at it necessarily about points, um, that he's got to score X amount of points. I more look at it as he needs to control the game. Like he needs to be – because I thought – like Toronto game six, I thought that's what was so good in the first is that he – yes, he scored, but more so – it was he controlled the game. Um, in game one, he was like that too. Like I thought he was borderline brilliant in, in games one and six in that Toronto series, where it's just everything like he he made everything happen and it just made everyone else's job easier from Joel to Tyrese to Tobias, everyone on down. Just it opened everything up for everyone. And so I think that's more important than necessarily you know hitting 25, 30 points. Of course, that would help. Um, they could use it, but if like Maxi and Tobias Harris both scored 30 points and James Harden scores 18 and has like 15 assists. I you're perfectly okay with that, especially if you walk away, um, walk out of Miami with a win. So, um, and I think, you know, not to make excuses for James, because I, I agree, Jazz. Like, you, there have been moments where you just really wonder, like, okay, is it the hamstring? Um, it, has he just flat out lost a step? Like, is it just all all of that mileage just really catching up to him at you know almost 33 years old? Uh, you know, what is it? Or does he have to change his play style a little bit? Like, what is it that's that's causing him to not be so effective? But I, I will say in the second half, again, it, and Tyrese Maxey struggled as well in the second half. And I think it was because, and you saw, like, I don't think it's a coincidence those two struggled and Tobias Harris kept playing well because it was very clear Miami's strategy was take away Harden, take away Maxey, we'll live with what Tobias Harris does. Um, not to take anything away from Tobias because he was great. Um, he he made Miami sweat by by you know 
by that strategy because they were li- basically saying, we'll let Tobias beat us. And he did uh, for, for the bulk of the game. So, it, you know, it, it, in that sense, it kind of didn't work. But at the same time, it worked in stifling um, Harden and Maxi. And it, we, we've touched on it a million times. But when they're not hitting shots, you're not making Miami pay for that strategy. You're not making Miami pay for closing off the middle of the uh, middle of the floor. Um, so you got like the, the, like George Yang can't go 0 for 7. Danny Green can't go 1 for 6. Um, Shake Milton has to hit, you know, his open opportunities. Like they, they have to hit the, and again, Maxi, Maxi has to hit his open ones. I agree with you, Jackson, that I thought he rushed a couple of them, took a couple, like kind of like 30 footers that, you know, yeah, he can hit those from time to time, but I didn't think they were necessarily, um, you know, I wouldn't say quite ill-advised, but uh, not maybe not the shot you would want in certain those situations. Those are kind of like game-breaking ones where he's, he's had a transition bucket and then hits a pull-up three in the flow of things, and sure. then they get a stop and he comes down and they're up eight all of a sudden after he hits that three. These ones felt like they're trying to stop or he was trying to stop a run with them or go on a run. It's like right, that's exactly. There was one in particular in the third quarter where the offense had really, really um, got clogged up, and the Heat were on a run and they got a transition opportunity, and um, he pulled up from three, and I think Doc even like yelled at him like listen and it's kind of like you know that it's the cliche saying but you can get that shot anytime you want it kind of a thing like mm-hmm. run the offense or get to the paint because you mm-hmm. they just need you need a good shot you don't need that shot um so i do and i i think that's and we've touched on this before like this is where tyrese maxi is kind of like where he'll go from being like very good to perhaps that next step of being like a, a star i mean that that's those are the kind of little nuances that he needs to figure out in order to get to that next level. And the guy's in his second year. He's 21 years old. Like, he's, he's got a lot of time to figure that out. Um, it's just unfortunate that it's coming in kind of this pressure situation where they need him to do that because without Joel Embiid, whereas when he's like the third or fourth option, uh, you know, he, it's easy for him to kind of ease into that. So, but sure, I, I think, again, it, it's not necessarily scoring with James Harden as much as it's about him taking the game over um, and just being the, the guy who, you know, eats up all the focus, but still manages to make the right play every time and sets guys up and then drives and, and, and finishes when it's open. And Jackson, I want to wrap up on this looking at, and Paul, you're, you're talking about Max. You look back at that game, uh, March 21st, where he had 28 points. They were without MB. They were without Harden. They, they beat a very good heat squad at that time to kind of keep themselves in the running for the top spot in the Eastern conference. But you look back at that game, Sixers did a great job of isolating Tyler Hero on the defensive end and, and attacking him and, and allowing Maxi to get out at least in the open court and, and get some easy buckets in transition. When you look at that, Jackson, what are you looking for from Philly tomorrow in terms of getting Maxi back into that position? And what does he need to do individually to make sure that, again, might not score 28 points again, but I mean, at least is getting some good shots or creating open looks for some of his teammates? Yeah, and I thought I thought the Sixers, especially the first half, did a pretty solid job of you know getting uh, Hero on some switches. Whether it was Harden or Tobias, um, both of them had some success against Hero. Um, really, with Maxi, like I think he was one of six from three and six of fifteen overall. Like he was five of nine inside the arc. Like that's against that Heat defense. That's good. Like he'll take fifty six percent on twos. That's that's excellent. So it's just about not like it being a little more discretionary in the threes that he takes. Like like we said, right? You some of the possessions where a three ended from him. You can still take a three in that possession, but just not when it came from him, right? So, like, if he goes two of six from three or three of six, both of you know, one's above his number and two in the second's much below, like, you're looking at a 22, 25 point game. And then we're sitting here going, yeah, they lost, but like, it was mostly about Harden and the DJ minutes and the backup center issue. Like, it's just about being a little more discretionary on a few possessions. Like, I don't, 
I think he was generally like he was generally pretty good. Like I, I think he was solid. Um, it's just about a, like being a little more responsible with some possessions, and I think that's something that's really important for guys. Um, you know, in in the playoffs, especially when you look like you look at a team like the Timberwolves, who in that, that fourth quarter game six, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, not responsible with some possessions. They're all guys who aren't necessarily very familiar with you know that sort of context in the playoffs. So just similar with Max, and I know he's much younger than them, but just same idea, you know, being a, one of the guys in the playoff context is something to learn from. So it's just, a, it's not, it's not a huge change. It's just a little bit of a tweet from him. Whereas with Harden, he has to like, I thought Harden, even in the first quarter, he wasn't great, but you felt him in the, in, in that sense. In the second quarter, he was very good. And that was why the Sixers went, you know, big reason Sixers went into the halftime with the lead third quarter, you know, a couple of plays to start. And then the heat went on the run and you, you, you look around you're like, where, you know, where did James go? I see him on the court, but I don't, I don't feel him. So um, if he keeps that approach from the first half throughout the entire game, they're in a good, they're in a good spot, but that it's, that felt like he was not there on as many possessions were with Maxi. It was just a few possessions that he has to be better on. So um, it's not a huge change for Max and I think he can get there, but it really does come down to, to James kind of being who he was in that first half. And I think he first half, he had what, like, 12 points and three or four assists. Like you get 24 and eight, 24 and six or seven on eight of 18 shooting. Cause he was four and a half time. Like you'll take that. Like that's, that's a good game from James and at max, he goes seven of 15 or eight of 15, you know, and you know, Tobias did it going 11 of 16 goes nine of 16. And you know, Danny, it's got more threes and George at one or two. Like, I guess these are a lot of ifs I know, but like, they're not huge changes. Like I think those are all attainable outcomes for everyone on the team. And I'm even dialing back Tobias a little bit. So um, and we saw that Tobias clearly has an advantage over you know, a lot of the guys on, on the on Miami. So um, as it comes down to offensively, and I think the defense was fine. Um, you know, they just they looked fatigued on some of those offensive rebounds. That one where I think they had three offensive rebounds that led to a That's three bad. kind of was you know felt a little deflating for them. But um, like I said, I don't think game two is by any means like you know, out of the realm of possibility. And Jimmy probably Jimmy probably played better. Um, but yeah, I think this team can certainly win. It just requires a little more shot making from some of the complimentary guys and, and Harden and Maxi, but a little more consistent in, you know, I would say hard, hard and consistent in Maxi, a little more careful with his possessions. Well, we're looking forward to it. I mean, hopefully, like I said, I, I to me, in my opinion, Sixers got to go for it here in game two, even if you get Joel back and everybody else is tired in game three, that's a better scenario than, than being down 2-0. So, I mean, we're looking forward to it. Uh, Jackson, Paul, want to thank you guys for joining me and doing this. We'll keep doing this throughout the playoffs as long as the Sixers are around. Uh, always fun having having you guys on and talking hoops with you. Happy to do it. Hopefully we, hopefully we get to do it next week. You know, hopefully it's not, I mean, I don't think it will be, but you know, who never, who knows Game for Sunday. So hopefully we get to talk on. <laughs> well, to take a page out of doc's book, you know what? You guys might not like it, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyways. All right. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll wrap, we'll wrap things up there uh, before we do. Don't forget, as I mentioned, always subscribe to the Liberty Ballers podcast network. Always appreciate a five-star review. If you're inclined to give us one. And of course, check out Paul Jackson and the rest of our talented writers at libertyballers.com. We'll have you covered throughout the rest of the Sixers postseason run. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.